Hello, everyone. It's Matthew DeMello, your host of The Fiona Show. And we know we left you last week during our first installment of our Service Transaction Podcast with a bit of a cliffhanger teasing you with an introduction of the services cost method without really diving in. Shame on us. The good news is that we're back today with part two and we're ready to go deep. One quick note before we kick off the episode, you can earn CPE credits just by listening to this podcast. Amazing, we know. Here's how it works. We're planting two CPE code words in this episode. Listen for both and send the words to The Fiona Show, that's all one word, at xbs.ai, and voila, we'll email you your CPE certificates. As for today's episode, Adam Sanford, Cross-Border Solutions Director of Transfer Pricing is back, and so is Andre Anoyu, the VP of Global Economic Operations, and they're ready to pick up right where they left off. So don't worry, you didn't miss a thing. Fiona is also here, and she'll chime in. You know when she feels like it. Very funny, Matt. Just kidding, Fiona. You really have no sense of humor. Well... Your experts programmed me. Fair point. Seriously, though, Fiona will jump in with helpful facts and guidelines about the services cost method and the beat tax. What's the beat tax? I'm going to let the real transfer pricing experts handle that one. But first, a look at transfer pricing in the news. Tax transparency keeps getting, well, more transparent, and one of the latest companies to feel the effects of the see-through system is the fast food delivery app Just Eat. In 2012, the company shifted its headquarters from Copenhagen to London, where it registered new trademarks and paid the HMRC taxes on profits from intellectual property. And that was all fine, until Denmark's tax authorities caught on to the fact that the HMRC was getting way more than they did. In fact, the Danish tax authorities claimed that the company should have have been paying higher licensing fees for trademarks in Denmark and made a claim of 126 million euros against the company. The country's plan to resolve the dispute via a mutual agreement procedure between British and Danish tax authorities and the decision is due out next year. Just Eat says it's confident that it will be fully absolved of the double taxation, but are they really? We can't help but notice that the company made a 21 million euros provision to help cover the tax bill. And hopefully that will be enough. I mean, if Just Eat has to pay the whole 126 million, well, that would be hard to stomach. What's the correct definition of an intangible? You've struggled with it. We've struggled with it. The IRS has struggled with it. But Amazon, now there's a company that seems to have a grasp on the meaning of intangible past and present. In fact, it helped the company win a $1.5 billion transfer pricing dispute against the IRS. The case was about cost sharing buy-in payments made by Amazon's Luxembourg subsidiary. Should they include compensation for transferred residual business assets, such as workforce in place, goodwill, and going concern value? The IRS thought yes, and Amazon thought no. And last week, a U.S. federal appeals court agreed with Amazon. You see, in 2005, Amazon transferred all the intangible assets, that's website technology, marketing intangibles, and European customer information, all required to operate the company's European website business. Amazon used the comparable uncontrolled transaction to set the buy-in price for the transfer under the cost-sharing agreement at $217 million. The IRS, however, used the discount cash flow method and determined that a buy-in of $3.6 billion 
was more like it. In March 2017, the tax court sided with Amazon, saying that the cut method was the right way to go in terms of the buy-in amount. Last week, the Ninth Circuit Court seconded the tax court's opinion, affirming that in 2005 and 2006, the definition of intangible was limited to independently transferable assets. The court had to rely on regulations made in 1994 and 1995 to reach a decision. If this case was about more recent agreements, Amazon may not be so lucky. I guess it's true. Timing is everything. The inclusive framework just got stronger on the heels of Gibraltar and Bosnia. Eswatini, formerly Swaziland, has joined the ranks of the inclusive framework for implementing measures against based erosion and profit shifting, or as we tax people like to say, BEPS. The OECD proposed the inclusive framework in 2015, and the G20 gave it a thumbs up a year later. Since then, 132 countries, including Eswatini, have joined forces to minimize tax avoidance and to ensure that an international tax standard holds up worldwide. A few years in, the framework's still gaining traction. In fact, in the time it took to report that Eswatini joined the club, the inclusive framework gained yet another member, Albania, bringing the number of inclusive countries to 133. A global pandemic, a grim economic forecast, feeling the squeeze, an R&D tax credit can help lower your burn. If you qualify, the IRS and some state governments will give you a tax credit equal to 10% of your company's spend on development activities. You can even take the credit against payroll taxes if you're in the red. All you have to do is claim it. So what's stopping you? If an expensive application process is turning you off, sorry, now you really have no excuse. Cross-Border Solutions AI-driven R&D tax credit software eliminates the need for pricey consultants and allows you to apply for R&D credits all over the world for one low fee. After all, why should you have to spend your whole R&D tax credit on getting your R&D tax credit? It's your money. Keep more of it with Cross-Border Solutions, the global leader in AI-driven tax solutions. Request a demo today. Visit xbs.ai rd. That's xbs.ai rd. And before I turn it over to Andre and Adam to discuss service transactions, we're going to learn a little bit more about Andre Anoyu's perspective about transfer pricing today. Thank you so much for joining us, Andre. And to start, how do you think transfer pricing has changed since you've come into the business? I, you know, I think uh, if anything, and I think you guys asked me a very similar question the last round we did this. Uh, I, I really have to say that the transfer pricing has gotten to the point where because it's expanded so far and wide globally and it's no longer just a few countries that are all pretty much following the same the same regulations um, and the same timelines or generally the same timelines that it's um, it's become a lot more onerous for taxpayers. And if you were hiring a transfer pricing professional when you first started as opposed to now, what would be the different skills that you would look for? Uh, the ability to be extremely organized. Uh, I think because of all these additional requirements, uh, you really need to, to be able to make sense of, uh, of everything and mm. uh, stay organized. 
And whereas 20 years ago, they could be a total train wreck and you'd give them yeah, a job. Yeah, well, I don't know about that. But <laughs> I'm kidding. Now more than ever. <laughs> what are some of the questions you are frequently asked by clients? Clients ask me all the time uh, why it's so important to uh, document my service transactions and uh, even when they're, they're small why uh why countries care so much and we'll talk a little bit about that today indeed and what are the biggest misconceptions about service transfer pricing transactions that you think multinational companies have i think a, a lot of companies really focus on what what are the best comparables and really focus on what's the what's that right markup is it five percent is it ten percent is it somewhere in between is it less or more but they tend to forget about um, the basics. You know, they tend to forget about proving to the tax authority that 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 transaction, in and of itself, can justifiably be charged out. In other words, provides a benefit. Uh, and I think they forget to to really justify the cost base itself. They they don't think about you know, is it truly a million dollars worth of services that I provided? Or is it 10 million or or what uh, and they jump straight to the markup that uh, that comes um, comes after that but you know if you look at a 5% markup that's five cents on the dollar whereas the cost base itself is a hundred cents on the dollar you really want to take that into account as well and I just want to recap what we learned last week. If you're just joining us, no worries. We're going to catch you up. Here it goes. Last week, we learned that companies use intra-company service transactions to minimize costs and maximize efficiency. Okay, you knew that. We also talked about how we can analyze service transactions through straightforward transactional service methods. But the challenge there is that comparables in public information can be hard to find. Enterprofit-based analyses, the most common type of analysis for service transactions, and that brings us right up to the IRS's introduction of the services cost method. And we'll replay that introduction right now, and then we'll hand things over to Andre and Adam. Most companies are engaged in more than one activity. You can evaluate several types of service transactions all at once, not only on a case-by-case -case basis. For example, a lot can be bucketed under management services. General types of shared services transactions include management services, accounting, payroll, tax support, and IT-related services. Our, our clients, depending on how they want to, to document these, they can bucket all of these together or carve them out. And we'll talk a little bit about that later in terms of the, the, the whitelisted services. Yeah, so actually that, that's a good segue, right? Like, um, what are some of the other methods that that can be used um, for service transactions because we know that that there are times uh, and you alluded to this earlier right if if you have a low value added services service you don't necessarily need to go you know a to z in terms of analyzing it but what do those methods look like uh well the the, the most common one would be the services cost method which is an IRS-specific method. Correct, correct. This was introduced by the IRS in 2007. It has no specific regulations about the treatment of services, and it's intended to minimize the compliance burden of common intercompany services that warrant low markups. 
like we mentioned before. So it might be the accounting, the payroll, the, the admin services. This allows taxpayers to compare cost without comparing profit. And so does the IRS allow you to use it for any type of service? No, it can't be applied for any type of service. There are specific services the IRS listed as acceptable for this type of method. Most of those services will be considered low-value-added services. There's extensive documentation listing out these services, and if you fall into one of those buckets, you can consider yourself for the, the SEM, or the services cost method. If it's a high-value-added service, and you can imagine strategic management, research and development, you will not be eligible for the SEM. Yeah, so that's that's actually a good point. So, um, Fiona, I'm, I'm wondering if you can actually tell us all the t different types of services that are not acceptable uh, or, you know, specifically excluded uh, by the IRS for, for application of the SCM. The IRS has excluded the following services from the SCM or services cost method. Manufacturing, production, extraction, exploration, or processing of natural resources. Construction, reselling distribution, acting as a sales or purchasing agent. Acting under a commission or other similar arrangement. Research, development, or experimentation. Engineering or scientific projects. Financial transactions, including guarantees, and insurance or reinsurance. Let me interrupt here with our first CPE code word. That word is obscure, as in some of these tax laws seem intentionally obscure. Back to you guys. Adam, as long as the service isn't under one of these umbrellas or categories, then it's okay? Not necessarily. The service can't contribute to the success or failure, and it can't contribute to key competitive advantages, core capabilities, or fundamental risk or success or failure in one or more trades or businesses of the control group, not just the renderer or recipient of services. And so what kind of records do you have to keep to be able to apply this, you You have to keep great records. You have to be able to show records to apply the SCM and they have to include the intent to apply the SCM. So this is more of a planning exercise. If you are potentially applicable, if your services are potentially applicable for the SCM, you should know this ahead of time and, and plan for it as a tax department. And it's also an elective method, right? And so the IRS doesn't force you to use the SCM. Correct, most of our clients end up using the SCM as a benefit to them. Uh, like you said, nobody's offering it to them. It, it is available. And so basically to qualify for the SCM, if the service passes the benefit test and is a low margin service and is not on the specifically excluded uh, list from the IRS, then it sounds like the taxpayer can choose to apply it but doesn't necessarily have to apply it. Yes, that's correct, but logic applies too. For instance, if you're in the business of providing accounting and auditing services to an affiliate, you can qualify for the SEM. But if accounting and auditing is your business, then you have to charge out for those services with an element of profit. So basically the business judgment rule. Correct. 
Hi, I'm Matthew DeMello, and you may know me as the host of the Fiona Show Cross-Border Solutions Weekly Transfer Pricing Podcast. And while I love to discuss transfer pricing, this podcast isn't the only place you can hear me doing it. Cross-Border Solutions recently relaunched Transfer Pricing University, a live webinar series where you can learn about modern-day transfer pricing, everything from methodologies to comparables to preparing documentation to meet country-specific regulations. Good stuff, I know. Chief Economist Mimi Song leads the sessions. I just ask the occasional obvious question. Since our program is NASBA certified, you can earn one CPE credit for joining each session. Pretty sweet. So what are you waiting for? Join us for Transfer Pricing University every Tuesday and Thursday at 11 a.m. Eastern. Classes are free, so now you really have no reason to miss it. Sign up at xbs.ai tpu. So, given that the SVM is a um, IRS-specific concept, uh, is there any similar type of um, elective um, method that that you can apply anywhere else outside the U.S. If you have a transaction between affiliates not in the U.S. and you want to take the simplified approach, not have to worry about a markup. Uh, not have to worry about doing a comparable search. Um, what can someone do in that case? Well, the OECD has a simplified approach. It's similar to the IRS's SCM, and they're services that are of low value in nature, supportive. They don't use unique and tangible property. They don't create significant risk or significant value. The differences might be that all costs well, let's say the differences are that all costs with the exception of the pass-through costs should be marked up by 5%. The OECD provides guidelines and they're only guidelines, whereas the IRS is law in the United States. Additionally, the OECD guidelines must be adopted by a country for this to be applicable. And so going back to the CM method, uh, just we, we know that the, the main benefit is uh, is less of a compliance burden, but are there any other benefits to using the service cost method? Yes, a big one. You can actually get around paying the tax outlined in the BEAT provision. So what is the BEAT provision? Well, BEAT actually stands for Base Erosion and Anti-Abuse Tax, and it imposes a minimum tax on certain deductible payments made by a U.S. taxpayer to related parties. And this is a new... IRS tax as part of the comprehensive tax reform that we saw. That's correct. Year. That's correct. And it's it's aligned to limit the the exposure paid to parent companies outside of the US providing low value added services to US multinationals. Interesting. So, um, let's let's pause here. Let's ask Fiona for a second. Fiona, how does uh, Beats minimum tax rate work? Beat is complicated, so stay with me. The tax rate is 5% for tax years starting in 2018, 10% for tax years starting in 2019 through 2025, and 12.5% for subsequent tax years on certain deductible payments made by U.S. taxpayers to related parties. It's time for our last CPE code word, and that word is loophole, as in the services cost method can be a loophole to the beat tax. Back to you guys. If I'm understanding it correctly, do you not have to pay BEAT 
if your transaction is tied to the service cost method? That's correct. There's an exception tied to the service cost method for amounts paid or accrued by taxpayers for services. So what are the conditions? Well, if services meet the requirements for eligibility for that services cost method under Section 482, all the requirements that we previously talked about, then they could meet the conditions for an exemption. And then are there, are there any types of payments that are not included in, in the beat tax and the base erosion category? Yeah, there's actually several. There's the uh, COGS or cost of goods sold. Um, there's the qualified derivative payments. And additionally, there are services which meet the requirements for eligibility for the services cost method under IRS's 482. And those, those previous examples are not included in the base erosion payment category. So it sounds like there is a big benefit to um, the SEM. How do you then, uh, you know, as a taxpayer who may have payments to foreign related parties or foreign parents providing these services, how do you know if you qualify? First, you need to identify if you qualify for the use of the, the SCM, and then you need to determine if you meet the exception to beat. And so what does that exception to beat look like? Is the, it sounds like not all multinational companies have to pay beat tax. No, that's correct. So first, it, it needs to be a, a foreign parent providing a low-value-added service, and we need to prove that it's a low-value-added service. There's a threshold, and you must meet both conditions. The U.S. corporation must have an average annual gross receipts in excess of $500 million over the past three years, and the corporation's deductible payments made to related parties must exceed 3% of the U.S. corporation's aggregate allowable deductions in the current taxable year. What are some challenges then in terms of becoming exempt to beat through the use of, of the SEM and being eligible for the SEM? Well, I'd say primarily identifying those expenses can be very difficult for, for our clients and, and taxpayers in general. And, and why would that be? Well, many charges made to U.S. taxpayers from foreign-related parties may involve a bundling of various types of expenses, only a portion of which may be SCM eligible. Mm. A lot of times these, these invoices come in with a lot of the services that we mentioned earlier. It could be the, the R&D, it could be the accounting, it could be uh, a, a nice mixture of the high and low value-added services. And you have to find a way to disaggregate them and, how, and figure out how much of that invoice is attributable to each one then. Correct. So going back to what we talked about earlier, it, it really is uh, healthy for our taxpayers to treat this as a planning exercise going forward and go ahead and carve those services out now in your in your day-to-day -day operations, which makes the reporting and the compliance part of transfer pricing a lot easier on the back end. Are there any other things that taxpayers should consider when determining their SCM eligibility specifically for the purposes of B? Yes, the SCM is an effective safe harbor available to U.S. taxpayers under IRS's 482. The SCM is almost never used for services rendered by non-U.S. parties because the OECD guidelines, not 482, include an elective safe harbor which requires a markup of 5% over cost. The beat applies to outbound payments of U.S. taxpayers. The or service inbound services coming in, in other words. Correct. 
the service transactions of relevance for the beat are services rendered by non-US parties to their US affiliates, which typically include a profit markup over total service costs. So, so Adam, just in summary, how, how would you summarize the relationship and the correlation between the SCM and this, this new beat tax? So first, for all of our U.S. taxpayers to to be excluded from the beat tax, if you have a foreign uh, if you have a foreign related party providing low value added services, to be excluded from the beat tax, you'll need to first apply for the SCM, and these will need to be low value added services, which we've talked about here previously, uh, being provided by that foreign entity, uh, and then you can be potentially excluded from beat if you meet all the the requirements. So the relationship between the SCM and BEAT is essentially that it's the, the SCM is a good tool to avoid falling within the BEAT category. Good and necessary. Like so, because they won't be able to apply for the BEAT if apply they don't for, fit in. They're not, they're not excluded from the BEAT if they don't have the SCM. Note to multinational companies everywhere, if you think the coronavirus has affected your bottom line, take a look at how it's devastated the economies of governments around the world. And where do you think tax authorities will look to make up for all that lost revenue? That's right, your transfer pricing. You can't afford to be non-compliant, but then you probably can't afford to pay for an overpriced consultant who bills by the hour either. Oops, sorry, big four. We've got the answer. Cross-border solutions, AI-powered transfer pricing software keeps you in compliance by preparing accurate hyper localized reports that protect you from transfer pricing audits penalties and adjustments and our technology is available for one flat fee a fraction of what you'd pay a big name consultant again apologies big four stay in compliance and on budget with cross-border solutions ai driven transfer pricing software it's no wonder we're the global leader in ai driven tax solutions there we go again i'm so sorry big you know what wait who am i kidding sign up for a free demo of cross-border solutions transfer pricing technology today at xbs.ai slash tp that's xbs.ai slash tp wow who knew service transactions could be so complicated well all of us here of course we're almost out of time but fortunately we have a few minutes for my favorite part of the show what we want to know we put a transfer pricing expert in the hot seat and fire off a rapid round of questions on well just about anything and adam is our victim i mean our guest this week are you ready adam as ready as i'll ever be excellent and here we go if there was a movie about your life who do you think should play you i would like to think matthew mcconaughey would jump at the chance matthew yeah. mcconaughey he's got the he's got the, the the tone of voice i can hear it i can hear it all right all right all right uh if you could change one thing about transfer pricing today what would that be I would like to see consistent transaction thresholds across all jurisdictions. That's a good one. That's a good one. Countries are introducing their own digital service tax. Are you a fan or do you think it makes more sense to wait for a unilateral solution? From a taxpayer side, it'd be great to have a unilateral solution in place. However, that's not our reality. So we will continue providing localized documentation based on each individual jurisdiction. 
If you could say one blunt thing to prepare all of your clients as they enter the world of transfer pricing, what would it be? Uh, first, go to xbs.ai. <laughs> <laughs> no, but uh, have internal agreements in place that support your group's TP policy. Indeed. And uh, you're not allowed to point us to our website for the answer to this question, but words to live by, go. <laughs> Uh, I have never let my schooling interfere with my education. That comes from Mark Twain. I like that. I like that a lot. Well, that's kind of awesome, right? Use the services cost method correctly and avoid the beat tax. Delightful. Thank you to Adam and Andre for being with us today and talking us through it. Fiona, thank you for being here, adding your knowledge, and let's not forget your charm. As always, of course, staying on top of transfer pricing is an ongoing endeavor. It's changing every day. Fortunately, learning the ins and outs of new tax regulations, court case decisions that will impact the future of the digital economy, what's new with the OECD, and technical topics like service transactions is as easy as subscribing to our podcasts on iTunes or Spotify. That's The Fiona Show. This podcast was edited, engineered, and hosted by yours truly, Matthew DeMello. Mary Lynn Mitchum-Strom is our scriptwriter and executive producer. And don't forget to check out, and by check out, we mean subscribe to our sister podcast, The Fiona Show, Hot Off the Press, which keeps you current on transfer pricing in the news. I mean, what's the point of learning about transfer pricing if you're not going to know what experts are tweeting about it? Am I right? <laughs> <laughs>